Welcome to Eczema Breakthroughs, brought to you by Global Parents for Eczema Research, or Cheaper. This show features conversations between parents of children with eczema and the world's leading scientists and researchers who study eczema. Global Parents for Eczema Research is an international network of parents that advocates for better treatments and management options for children with eczema. Jeeper is led and comprised of parents of children with eczema and was formed in 2015 to address the critical need for research that answers questions of importance to patients and families. Learn more about Jeeper and subscribe to the Eczema Breakthrough Podcast at parentsforeczemaresearch.org. Hello and welcome, everybody. I'm Corey with Global Parents for Eczema Research, and I'm glad you could join us today. We have a really great topic, which is the transition from adolescence, from a a child from adolescence to the teen years, and that transition and helping parents let go and our adolescents and teens take over their own eczema care, which can be a rocky period, but our guests today hopefully will help us learn how to make it as smooth as possible. I want to introduce my co-host, who is Freya Moxham. She's a student of medical genetics in the United Kingdom, and she also has personal experience living with eczema. So welcome, Freya. Thank you. Hi. And our guest is Dr. Miriam Santer. She's professor of primary care research at the University of Southampton and a general practitioner at Denmark Road Medical Center in Bournemouth. A little bit more I'll say about you, Dr. Santer, is that you lead research that focuses on developing evidence to inform management of conditions like eczema, especially around support for self-management. So we really appreciate um, the practical nature of your research, which is so needed for this condition. Dr. Santer is a principal investigator for the ECHO Eczema Study, which is a research project that will test online resources to address the needs of teenagers and young adults with eczema in managing their own condition. Dr. Sandra, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's great to be here. I really like your podcast. Well, thank you so much. So I'm going to ask the first question from the parent perspective and then pass it to Freya to talk a little bit more about her perspective on the young adult teen side of things. So, you know, I have an adolescent with moderate to severe eczema. And just speaking from experience, this transition can be really challenging. Some of it is on the parent side, on my side. I'm just, I'm I'm so used to being hypervigilant about his eczema and so involved in his skincare as I was, especially during the baby and the infant years. And I kind of feel like I'm always still on high alert because I'm worried about um, going into a period of terrible flare where we can't get it under control because we've been there. And I sort of think back to that uh, pit of despair for lack of a, a better term. And so it's hard for me to let go because I'm still on that high alert state mm-hmm. and worrying about um, going back to having a child suffering with itch and pain and loss of sleep and just having so few ways to help. So I'm kind of always still, even now, um, you know, 10 years later in this slight fear state around it, which makes me hyper-focused on his skin and unable to let go personally. And I know other parents feel that way too. You feel like you have to do everything you can at all times to be on top of it. But in come the adolescent years and your child is too old to be managed in that way. They don't want to be managed in that way. And you have to step back and you have to let go. And it's really hard, I think, as a parent to do that because you know they're not going to manage their skin the way maybe you would. 
are or at the level that you would, especially with the complicated skincare routines that we have for eczema. Mm-hmm. I'll just share one thing I sometimes find myself doing and I catch myself because I, I think to myself, you know, if I was an adolescent or teen and my mother did this to me, it would drive me nuts. It's like uh, my son is talking or doing something. And the whole time I'm thinking about his skin as he's talking, it's like, I can't help it. You know, I've just been in this, like, I think hypervigilance is the right word, um, state around his skin that it, it's, it's hard to back that off. So with that, I wondered if you could talk about what you know about this period of transition and how we can help parents adjust to it and work through their own challenges with letting go and letting their child take over. Yeah, it's it's a massive question. And I think, you know, like with a lot of things with eczema, there are no easy answers, really. I can tell you what we've learned from, we've done lots of qualitative interviews with children and young people and parents of children and young people with eczema. And I think what we've come more and more to seeing is that it's a process. Um, like a lot of things around growing up, you're just you know, it takes years and you work together at it. Um, and I think it's it's partly constantly assessing what the young person is ready for. Because, you know, eczema care is burdensome. There's a lot of different aspects to it. Um, and so some things they'll learn pretty young, like avoiding triggers. They have to learn to avoid soap and stuff at school. They may learn to apply emollients, moisturizers at school. They may gradually do that at home. There's some things like applying topical steroids uh, or systemic treatments where parents are understandably going to want to leave that a bit later before handing it over to to young people. And really interestingly, when we spoke to parents and children together, the child would say, well, I really like it when my mum reminds me. And the mum would say, be really surprised and say, well, no, you don't. So sometimes they may react a certain way and yet being reminded to use the treatments and having their parent or carer step in at times when it's flaring up, they all actually, when they talk to a third person, they acknowledge that that's helpful, which is really interesting for me to hear, I guess, as a parent myself, because I was sometimes surprised by that too. But I think we looked at other conditions where people learn to self-manage. For instance, in diabetes, there's this concept of emerging adulthood, where people, you know, some aspects of their treatment, they're very happy to take on at a young age. Other things like managing healthcare consultations, getting all their repeat prescriptions or refills, they really want their parents' help with or carers' help with for quite a long time, sometimes even into their 20s, because all the different tasks involved are quite different in when they're happy to, to hand it over, when they're confident to hand it over. So that's what our research has shown us. There's just nothing easy about it. Is there anything for parents? It's almost like a a therapeutic approach for for parents to let go of that fear a little bit, if they can. I mean, if their child is is in a position where it's not quite so dire with their eczema and they can take on some of the control. Any thoughts on that, Dr. Sander, or others on the line? I used to say that I suffered from PTSD and I almost questioned whether or not I was worthy of using that phrase um, just because of the trauma that I endured with my first. I totally agree with what you were saying, Corey. I still have those moments where I'm like, 
on hyper alert. I feel like over time, having shared our story so much and just, it's kind of become the norm, if you will. That's, that's kind of the only way I've been able to cope with it. I don't, I don't know if that makes any sense, but you just yeah. kind of learn to live with it. Yeah. And I, I should preface it. Um, I'm really talking about the moderate to severe kids here which I think is quite different than a child with mild eczema who probably can, you know, parents are probably less traumatized by the experience of it all, um, hopefully. But those of us who have had moderate to severe kids, a lot of us have had our kids in the hospital. It, it's, it's a tough thing to, to make that transition of, of backing off because you, you are still so worried about it. Linnell, you had your hand up. Did you want to comment? Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, pretty much everything you said when you were saying it, it was kind of like I had told you the issues I was having before. You were like, okay, I'll repeat them all. I think the thing is like my my severe kid, he just turned 15. So he's a 10th grader, but because of the pandemic, this is his first time going to high school. So there's a whole lot of change into the guard here. You know, this is his first time self-caring for EpiPens. This is his, you know, first time with a lot. So handing over the reins to a teenager are difficult anyway. And then, you know, me expecting him to treat his skin the way that I did, you know, when I'm looking at him, like when he hops in the car, I can do a physical, like a body scan in like two or three seconds. And I'm like, patch there, patch there, patch there. And so I'm trying not to look and I'm trying not to say anything. I'm like, I'm going to try different approaches of handling this. And I'm like, you know, I think you need to put on some moisturizer. And he's like, no, I don't. And I'm like, oh, you know, and I'm gritting my teeth. And I'm like, okay, we're going to try this again. And then finally yesterday, I'm like, you know what? We're going to do a wet wrap. This is going down. It's, it's just happening. I don't need you to do it. I said, you know what? I'm going to have to do it for my sanity. We've been awake now for about 15 years. And, you know, we've come so far. And you know that a small thing can turn into a big thing. So we're going to do it. So he went ahead and he did part of it on his own. Is it the job that I would have done? No. But I also have to understand that at some point, I have to let him go, you know, but I, I, I have to be honest, I'm still going to fill in the gaps. There's still going to be those times when I'm going to hug him and my hands are going to be full of moisturizer and I'm just going to rub right down his arms, you know, and all of those things. I still go in every night and I look at my kids at night. So there may be that night when he wakes up, his face is greasy. It's hard. It's challenging. Yeah. Yeah, we're living the same life, Linnell. I hear you. <laughs> I'm biting my tongue all the time. And the other thing yes. is, like, as a parent, especially with a teen or an adolescent, it's such a tender period where they're so aware of their appearance that, you know, you don't want to be pointing out their appearance to them mm-hmm. and making them more self-conscious. So it's a very fraught period for us parents. The transition to adolescence and, and teenhood is is hard enough as it is. And then you you layer this really complicated self-care equation on top of it where you really do have to let go and let them take the reins. So appreciate that discussion. I'm going to pass it to you, Freya, to go ahead and ask the next question. Hi, yes. I just wanted to sort of talk about the adolescent teen side of things. And in the simplest form is how we can empower teens and young people to take on self-care of their eczema. 
And I think it happens in lots of ways from taking up routine care in the home, then also, also, like you said, going to appointments and talking to healthcare professionals and making treatment decisions and looking at different options. And so how can we empower our teens and young people to start taking on that and start thinking about these things as they're growing up and as they're starting to take care of themselves a bit more? That is such a great question. And um And again, no easy answers, but we spoke to young people about exactly that thing. And one thing they pointed out to us was that often they haven't had much information about eczema themselves. When they were little, their parents were were told all about it, and then their parents passed it on to them. But they felt that they needed to be told the information as they learned how to manage their own eczema. And there's a role for healthcare providers there. But there is also a role for good information online or organisations like yourself providing stuff for young people so that they can learn it themselves and not necessarily learn it from their parents. Because there comes a certain time when you don't want to learn anything, everything from the parents. Um, There's, of course, psychological services that some clinics have and others don't. And then there's the other kind of feeling of just needing to be understood, especially people with more moderate or severe eczema, they kind of want to hear from other people, not just basic information, but also shared experiences. In our research, what we found was that this is often why people go online. They want to share experiences, read other people's blogs and so on from people who they feel will really understand. It is it is such a minefield online because we found, though, that although some people will go to websites like we have the National Eczema Society in the UK and there's obviously organisations like your own elsewhere. Often people are just going on somewhere like Facebook. We both looked at the information people were sharing on Facebook, which is a very variable quality. Sometimes it's great advice. Sometimes it's not great advice at all. So I think understanding that young young people are obviously going to go and find information online, but maybe just trying to Give them the tools to appraise that information and decide which sites to look at and who to listen to. Information is really important, but also the emotional support that people need can sometimes be achieved from a healthcare provider or from people that they know. But if they go online, and hopefully the research that we're doing, which is developing information for young people with eczema, will mean that if they want to, but they can go somewhere where they know their healthcare provider is happy with the information. Yeah, it's a real balance. I appreciate that comment because we need to come up with information that is evidence-based and valuable and communicate it in a way way that resonates with that audience. Um, We've actually been experimenting with that, Freya and some others on our team, all of them mostly under 23, have built an Instagram site called Eczema Youth. And we're trying to find that balance between memes and content that's fun and then like research posts where we really talk about practical research on topics that we think that would resonate with that audience. And I think it is so variable with teens and especially because the age you take on your own healthcare can be so variable. For some people, like I said, with maybe more mild eczema, it might happen earlier or depending on sort of the relationship in the family, that could be sort of a much younger age or a much older age. And creating that information that's digestible, research like what you're doing is so important because we have to look at what content is appropriate for what age group and what's going to be useful because we don't want to be 
chucking things at teens that's just going to overwhelm them and make them more despondent to what they're looking at and so I think it's really great kind of piggybacking on on Freya's point kids are ready to do this at different ages you know one 10 year old is going to be different than another 10 year old and and it's just the age that this is possible is going to be really different I think from family to family that said I think a lot of kids with eczema, they grow up quickly. You know, they've had to deal with managing the sensation of itch while at school. You know, that's a self-regulation thing. That's really difficult. They've had to figure out how to talk about this visible skin condition at an early age to people who don't understand. They've had to figure out how to cope when they haven't slept. So I feel like in some ways, these children are wise beyond their years and able to do more than others. At least that's my observation. So it, it, it's been very sort of glaring to me to see how sometimes, at least with my son, he's treated still as a child when he's really beyond that. And one thing that comes to mind is sometimes when we go to medical appointments, you know, the, the healthcare provider is having, still having a conversation with me about him while he's in the room as if he's not there. And it's very disempowering to these kids when that happens. It's like they're not responsible for their own body and their own health. They're not, they're not asked about <laughs> their the own experience that they're having. And so I guess my question for you is how do we change that paradigm and start to bring in the perspectives of these, you know, sometimes kids, but adolescents and teens into the healthcare process and mm-hmm. let them and really let them speak for themselves instead of treating them like a like an object. I think that's a, practice that really needs to change Mm -hmm. yeah so I work in a medical school and I I feel kind of optimistic about this because they do the medical students now do get much more communication skills training than 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 in the past so I'm hoping this is something that will change but I, I was talking to my son about this recently my oldest son is now a medical student himself and so he sees it from a different side now. And he says he had a number of health conditions when he was younger. And he was reminding me how he'd seen it done really badly sometimes and really well at other times of the doctor actually talking to him rather than talking to me. And I was very aware of that at the time that some doctors did it way better than others. And so I did used to try and um, if someone did it badly, I would say, hey, Alex, what do you think? <laughs> And even if the doctor's in a rush, I just think it's, it's it's not asking too much to involve the child, even if it takes a tiny little bit longer. And 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 I would prepare him for that when we were on the way to appointments to say, if he asks you how you've been, what are you going to say? And if he says this and that, what do you want to say? And if you don't want to answer and you want me to answer, what are you going to say? I think in a way... Waiting for the medical profession to change, hopefully it will happen sometime, but we do have some power as parents to to direct the consultation and to involve the children and the young people in it. Um, Yeah. I love that, sort of preparing ahead of time for how you're going to handle it as a parent-child team and to be prepared to tag team in a way that's accurate. but also sort of a partnership. I hadn't thought of that. That's a really good point. And the other reason why I I didn't say this in the question, but I do think it's important is I've become aware as my son's able to articulate what's going on with him, how different his experience actually is from what I think it is. 
And so it's also kind of about delivering quality care because if you just ask me, it's not actually true, right? It's what I observe. I'm not, I'm not actually him. But when you ask him, it's a totally different story. And he actually even has different priorities than I have. So we have to start to integrate that. I just wanted to say that sort of as a young person listening to that myself, I think it's so important and I couldn't agree more because it is a way of empowering our kids. When a doctor asks you a question, it can actually be quite intimidating. And I just wanted to comment as a younger person going to consultations and talking to doctors myself and going through that process of being completely ignored and wanted to say something myself and feeling like I never got the chance. It sort of leads on from communicating and it is sort of talking about the role that schools play um, in the sort of period of transition and sort of what are the tools and best practices that we can use to get schools involved and sort of how they can take care of their skin and their eczema whilst in the school and sort of especially as you're saying moving up to secondary school high school wherever you live that definitely becomes more of your responsibility as you're younger the teacher's kind of semi-responsible but how can we equip our teens and young adults to do this themselves and how can the school sort of aid and help young adults in doing this Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I'd be interested to hear what you think as well, Freya, but from from the research we've done so far, it's just quite variable how schools deal with it. And, you know, we heard horrible stories about people actually having to put their creams on in quite public places and, and other people having a much better experience of being told that they could go to a special office and do it on their own or whatever. So I think I think communicating with the schools and just expecting schools Um, to do slightly better and sometimes there are useful resources that you can give to schools national excellence society has a good information pack that you can share with schools i think though again you were talking about the shift to to secondary school when the kids are a little bit older i think again it's partly preparing them for that and saying you know what will you do if someone says says this to you what will you do if people ask you about your eczema what you know is something that people said was difficult for them was when they got unsolicited advice about their ex and oh you should put moisturizer and you should use this you should stop scratching you know what would they say to people in that situation so I think talking to young people about it before it happens communicating with the schools and being aware of how variable knowledge is amongst teachers and and other people in school um about about eczema and providing the information for them about how it's managed and what and what the young person can do and and I think it's true that primary schools tend to do that slightly better than secondary schools Kyle is joining us from Canada and it's recent high school graduate Kyle I wanted to ask you thinking back to this period when you had to take over management of your own eczema, what were the challenges and what worked well for you when it was no longer about your your parents helping you, but really you taking care of it yourself? When I first started taking over it, it was probably the consistency because my parents used to make me do it like certain times all the time. So it was managing that consistency of doing it all the time and keeping up the schedule with the 70,000 baths a day that we had to do and all the cream after that, and managing it. It was definitely different. 
I still don't want to do it, but, <laughs> and we had a checklist. So like, it was just easier to like, go look at and know what I have to do for this day and managing everything. It just, it made it easier when I was eased into it. So it, so I could get a firm grasp on it. Cause I was so used to just my parents doing it. I, I love the idea of a checklist. That's so smart. And cause it gives you a plan for what you need to do without your parents having to nag or get involved. It was definitely tough managing it with school and everything. Cause I was still going to school, but I don't know. The checklist helped. And just knowing that if I missed that day, I just I had to learn how to get in a rhythm of doing it. So some days I'd miss a couple of times, but it's going to happen. You can't, with school and everything, it's hard to manage it all at once. When you're a kid, you don't have as much going on. So it's easier for your parents to help. But when I did it, I was trying to, I always stayed busy because I it helped me not be itchy. So to actually managing all of that, putting on my creams and everything. If, if I miss something, I was, it's going to happen. You're not always going to get everything in on that day, but just focus on managing it the best you can. If you miss a couple, don't be down on yourself. You know, it's such a simple thing, but it's such a relief to hear you say that in a way, because I think that as parents and as teens too, like that needs to be part of how we think about it. It's okay. I guess that getting back to the first question around the parents and the hypervigilance, we need to come to terms with the fact that it's going to be okay if we miss a, if the child misses a couple days. It's not going to be perfect. So that thank you, Kyle, for raising that point. It's an adjustment, I think, for both the parent and the teen to know that you're going to do the best you can, but it's not going to be perfect in this period, probably. I wanted to ask Kyle, um, we touched base earlier about doctor's appointments. Kyle, I have to ask you, I know your mom's great at doctor's appointments, but she goes to every single one with you. At what point did you start advocating for yourself and, and are you intimidated to ask those questions? Because it can be very intimidating as Freya mentioned earlier. I think I really got more comfortable and I turned 15. We went to just a family doctor and she tried giving me these little containers of betaderm, and I was just like, where do you expect me to put that? Like, she gave me that for a month, and I was just like, that's not going to work. And she was like, well, that's the most I can give you. And my mom was just like, Kyle, relax. So I was like, that's when I walked out of the doctor's appointment. And at that point is when my doctor started actually listening to me. And I feel like I just, I built that relationship with my doctors. It made it easier. So it's something that you put together over time. Yeah, it really is about establishing that relationship and having somebody on your team for the long haul through all the ups and downs and bumps and so on. Dr. Santer, are, are there any resources from the ECHO study now that are available from your online intervention piece that we can direct people to? Not yet, because we're still, we're still testing it and we're still adapting it and building it but it will be available within the next year. Great. I want to thank uh, you, Dr. Santer, for joining us, as well as Freyer for co-hosting and Kyle for being part of the discussion, as well as everyone else on the line. Really great topic. And I personally have learned a lot. So please join me in, in thanking our guest today, Dr. Santer. Thank you so much, Dr. Thank Santer. You. Thank you so much. Thank I really enjoyed it. 
You've been listening to the Eczema Breakthrough Podcast. To learn more and join Global Parents for Eczema Research or to subscribe to this podcast, please visit us at parentsforeczemaresearch.org. And if you enjoy our podcast, consider supporting it with a tax-deductible donation through our website. We depend on listeners like you to keep producing high-quality, science-based episodes. Thank you, and we'll see you next time on the Eczema Breakthrough Podcast.